right, y'all, if you have a Bible with you, go ahead and turn to James chapter 3. James chapter 3, if you've been with us for the last few weeks, we are in the middle of a series called The Beauty of Faith. And what this sermon series is meant to help us understand is that as we walk through the book of James, I hope you realize that your faith is not supposed to be privatized. You're not simply supposed to have a private faith that only you and Jesus know about. Yes, our, G, our, our faith is personal in many ways, but it is never private. Our faith is meant to, it's meant to leave our bodies, it's meant to express itself in good deeds in the world. So we are called as Christians to bring the beauty of Jesus Christ, not just his words, but his actions to a world. So they might observe him and then also follow him um, as well. And so we're in James chapter 3 because James gets really practical on how we do that. He even gets down to how we use our words. And so we're going to talk about that this morning. So let's do that. James chapter 3, 1 through 12. I want to invite you to stand in reverence to the red word of God. So we're going to read it, and then we're going to jump in. Here it is. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers. For you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. For we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, also able, able also to bridle his whole body. If we put bits into, our into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. For they are so large, and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder, wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire, and the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. For the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. So this morning, we're going to talk about, you guys can be seated. So this morning, we're going to talk about the power of the tongue. And in thinking about this, y'all, I want to remind you guys that today is November 5th. Uh, and today being November 5th means that we are currently in the season in which our um, country, and I think maybe our world as well, is embroiled in a contentious debate. It's caused much division, much anger in our world, and it all surrounds this question. When is it appropriate to begin playing Christmas music? <laughs> uh, for some of you who are wrong, you think now is the time to whip out <laughs> the Mariah Carey Christmas album and, and uh, to blare that around the house. Anyone in this room that is wrong this morning? Anybody wrong? All right. And you people who are correct, you know that Thanksgiving music, should, I mean, Christmas music should not be brought out 
until the Thanksgiving dishes are being put away, right? So, the, so those are the correct people. But, but there's a song that I actually enjoy. That's a Christmas song that I'll let slide if you desire to play it uh, because it's a Christmas song, but it's much deeper than a Christmas song. And so it was a song that was written back in 1967. Uh, the first person who sang this song on a record was uh, Stevie Wonder. And this is a song titled Someday at Christmas. Has anybody ever heard of that song, Someday at Christmas? See, little known Christmas song. I actually like that song because of its deeper meaning and, 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 its, and its theme of justice. So like, for instance, like the first line of the song says this, is haunting and yet hopeful. First line, Stevie sings. He says, someday at Christmas, men won't be boys playing with bombs like kids play with toys. Now, let me already warn you, this ain't one of those Christmas songs that you sing sitting by the fire with a hop of cocoa, um, with a cup of cocoa with a marshmallow in it, uh, reminiscing about the holidays. Like, it, it's a hard kind of song. It's hard and yet hopeful. And to understand the song, you got to remember the context in which the song was written. See, 1967, our country was still embroiled in the Vietnam War. This was an entire generation who had set um, in the ruins of war. They, we've seen um, the destruction that war has caused, and we set in the ruins. And it's an interesting song because in response to this, Stevie wonders, how did humanity get to the point where we use weapons of mass destruction so flippantly? Someday at Christmas, men won't be boys playing with bombs like kids play with toys. We all understand because of the destructive um, potential of bombs, we should not use them flippantly. But also this morning, where I'm trying to go is, there's something else that has incredible destructive power that we shouldn't play with either, and that is our words. That is our words. Because listen, it is easy for us from the outside looking in to see how a bomb can destroy. Sometimes it can be so much harder for us to see how our words can destroy people. It may be hard for you to see, but, but let me help you see it this morning. If you think about it, every single person in this room have wounds. Some of them huge, some of them small. All of us still have shrapnel in us from words spoken to us that were wrongly spoken. And if that's not it, all of us have spoken words to ourselves and to other people that if we could have them back, we would desperately want to get them back. Our words have been used to wound people. We thought that they were just words, and we weren't careful. And because we underestimated the power of our words, we caused incredible harm. We play with our words like kids play with toys. And let me tell you, we live in a time in which it, 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 it's hard for us to realize this because we live in an um, era that you are encouraged to let your words fly. Uh, sociologists call the time that we live in the age of expressive individualism. Can you say expressive individualism? And that's a term that you have likely, many of you have likely never heard, but let me tell you, you've heard it every single time that you've heard phrases like this. When you've heard phrases like, speak your truth, you be you, be true to yourself, follow your heart. Find yourself. And I'm not saying everything about those phrases is wrong. But expressive individualism just simply declares 
that anything that stops you from expressing who you believe your true self is should be categorically rejected. Anything that stops you from expressing your true self or what you believe to be your true self should be rejected. So the goal of expressive individualism is for you to find yourself and then express yourself. And I, I'm not saying that everything about this is wrong, but here's the major issue with expressive individualism. And, and, and I'm going somewhere with this. Everything in us doesn't need to be expressed. Everything in us doesn't need to be expressed. Because listen, this morning, everything in you isn't good. We all have some dark impulses. And because you, and listen to me, just because you find it in you doesn't, doesn't mean it should come out of you. Listen, when it comes to our words, just because you have a thought or just because you have a strong emotional response to a thought and you feel an urge to get it out, it doesn't mean that it needs to be expressed verbally. Hear me this morning. Our greatest need in life, the greatest need of yourself, is not expression. The greatest need that you have is redemption. That's the greatest need, guys. Before we open our mouths, we desperately need the Spirit of God to renovate our hearts so that what comes out of our hearts through our lips are words that heal and help rather than harm and destroy. And I want to encourage you guys this morning, feel free to respond to the sermon. Feel free to say amen. Don't be nervous about that at all. Because let me tell you, the way that I preach, like when you give amen, you actually get a better sermon, <laughs> right? And so uh, don't feel hesitate, man. Don't hesitate to respond to God's word this morning. Amen. That's right. I appreciate it, brother. And so this morning, I want us to come face to face with the power of our words. Y'all, I want us to hear the potential that our words have. And I want us to hear um, how we steward this power. And so here's one thing I'm going to give you about our tongue or our words. Your tongue or your words, they have the power to reveal your hidden life. We think about what, the, what our words have the power to do. Let, let, let me give you something helpful that your words actually do. Your words have the power to reveal your hidden life. I love it because this passage helps us to see that your tongue is kind of like an x-ray. Like, just like x-rays reveal what is hidden, your tongues do the same thing as well. And one of the things that your tongue actually reveals is this. It reveals, honestly, how spiritually mature you are. They do. So look at verse 2. James says, for we all stumble in many ways. So I'll pause there. James right there, he's simply a minute. Listen, we're, I, we're not perfect. And, and he's included himself in on that. He said we all stumble in the way that we use our tongues. But then he says in verse 2, he says, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. Now, I want you to understand something about that text. When, when, when it uses the word perfect, that word actually means mature. And what James is simply trying to get at is what I just said to you. He's trying to say that what comes out of your mouth reveals the maturity of your heart. And I say all that to say because we tend to have different markers of spiritual maturity. When you look at a church, you tend to think, oh, the people who've been at the church for a while, they're more spiritually mature. Or spiritually mature, spiritual maturity comes with age. Or, spiritual, or maturity comes with a certain kind of taste or, or the way that somebody dresses or, or things like that. But let me tell you, maturity isn't necessarily revealed by age. I think we know this. I know a lot of people with gray hair who I would not entrust my kids to. Like, they are not mature, right? I, I, I know that. I would hope that with age, we do gain wisdom. 
But the ultimate measure of maturity is not when you observe a head of gray hair. Those things can fool you. We shouldn't measure maturity with our eyes, y'all. But I think we can often measure maturity with our ears. When you hang out with someone from an extended period of time, honestly, what most often flows from their mouths reveals their level of, uh, their level of maturity. It really does. And my hope for you is that you will let people into your life close enough to you to influence your decisions. That those kinds of people are those kinds of people who are actually spiritually mature and are helping you rather than harm you. So y'all, don't look down on people because they don't look the part. My question for you this morning is when you're trying to figure out who you allow to influence your life, my question for you is this, do they sound the part? Do they sound the part? What should they sound like? Are they, are they, are they are people who, who run towards encouragement, right? And they have a timely word of God for you. They have hidden God's word in their hearts, not just for themselves, but they also have a word for you too. Are the people that you're constantly um, hanging out with, is, is it, are their voices constantly dripping with discontentment or complaining <laughs> or frustration or gossip or slander, right? No matter what people say on Sundays, when you hang out with them for an extended period of time, from the overflow of the mouth, the heart speaks. The Bible says that. Words reveal maturity. I remember watching the news years ago, and there was a communications director who was defending her boss. So her boss, who was also a woman, um, this woman had said some, uh, some, some untimely things, right? They got her in a lot of trouble with the media. And this communications director was standing up defending her boss, and she said this line, and I, I was dumbfounded when she said this. She said, the media wants to go by what comes out of her mouth rather than what's in her heart. And I'm looking at that, I'm like, eh, uh, that's not true. That's not true because the tongue reveals what's in you, right? Out of the overflow of the mouth, the heart speaks. But hear me this morning. Not only does your tongue have the power to reveal your maturity, hear me this morning. Your tongue also has the power to reveal what controls your heart, what directs your heart. So look at verses 3 through 5. Verses 3 through 5, it says this. It says, if we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also, so that so, though they are so large and are driven by a strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. And so I hope in reading that verse, you see the analogy. You see how this big horse is moved by a little bit. You see how a big ship is moved by a little rudder. And the analogy is meant to help us understand a couple of things. One, Something as small as a tongue has outsized power, has a major impact. Verse 5 says as much. It says the tongue is small, and yet it makes great boasts. Something so small has incredible power. But also, I think these verses, I want you to hear this. It's demonstrating something else. Both of these analogies, there is someone who is in control of the small thing that's God in the, little, God in the bigger thing. So there's someone that is holding the bit, the small bit that directs the big horse. There's someone who has the small rudder in their hands that's directing the big ship. So the question that we should have in regards to the tongue in this analogy, this should leave us with this question. What controls our tongue? What controls our tongue? What moves our tongue? 
and causes everything that we see. But let me tell you this morning, you know what is in control of your tongue by what comes out of your mouth. The tongue always reveals who or what rules your heart. And your question may be, okay, Eric, yo, what is the heart? I'm not talking about the organ, y'all. I'm not talking about what's going on right here. I'm talking about the immaterial part of you. You're not just physical. I'm talking about your soul. I'm talking about um, the part of you that feels, the part of you that thinks, the part of you that desires, the part of you that makes you you. And your tongue reveals what controls that. So I have a physical condition that I recently found out that I had like years ago, like six years ago. And it's a condition called nail patella syndrome. I didn't know that I had it because I can't, I ain't, I'm not a scientist. I, I don't, I can't see genes, right? Um, and so it's a genetic disease um, that affects a very small portion of the population. Um, not too many people have this. A lot of people don't even know about it, right? And so nail patella syndrome is genetic. It affects nails, kidneys, eyes, knees, hips, all, all of that, right? So uh, I didn't realize that I had it. I just thought I had some weird traits. So I had a lot of family members who have some weird thumbnails. So if you ever see my nails, don't gasp but I'm missing some of my thumbnails. Like, my thumbnails are, like, pretty much missing, right? I thought that was some weird family trait until I realized later on that, no, that trait is actually the outward manifestation of something that I can't see. And then that's a, that's a genetic syndrome called nail patella syndrome. You see, my observable nails reveal the hidden disease in me. And I bring this on to your neighborhood because we all have souls, we all have hearts, but we can't see those. Those are immaterial, meaning that you can't see them. However, hear me this morning, your observable tongue will always reveal the state of your hidden heart. It will. So my question for you is, what does your tongue reveal about you? What does the x-ray of your tongue reveal about your hidden heart? For some of us, our constant complaining reveals something about our hidden heart. It reveals possibly that our hearts are controlled by discontentment. That instead of meditating and realizing on the goodness of God and what he's done for us, like what easily flows from our lips and gets all over the people around us, it's just always there's a discontentment about what is going on. For some of us, our constant gossip could reveal that approval controls us. That we gossip about others because you think, man, if I just tear myself down, that can pick me up a little bit. Or do you want people to think well of you because you have a piece of information and they're not privy to? Some of us, our constant slander could reveal that there's, a, that there's a hatred of people or a certain person that controls my heart. There's this urge to constantly put this person down. A heart not animated by love. And you may be thinking about those examples and you're like, listen, Eric, if I'm honest and Maybe if I ask my friends and I ask them, hey, what do I always talk about? Like, what, what does my tongue reveal about me? And maybe they might tell you and, and you don't like what they told you. You don't like what your tongue reveals. And your question is like, Eric, say hope for me. Like, what, what do I do? Well, I don't want to make this simple, but I think it's true. What you need to do when your tongue reveals um, that your hidden heart is not in a state that it should be in, what you need to do is to gaze at the beauty of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because the gospel is the cure for the disease that is lurking in your heart. 
So it's one of those things, like, if your tongue reveals discontentment, a tongue that reveals discontentment needs to surely believe that because of the work of Jesus Christ on the cross at Calvary, and you've been reconciled to him, you have what your longing soul desperately needs. That you could be disappointed because you don't have what you want, but you don't have to be discontent because you have the God of the universe who is for you and not against you. Not only that, you might have a tongue that's ruled by, by an excessive need for approval. And you need to remember that in the gospel, that you have been approved of by the God of the universe because of Jesus' work on the cross. And because you have a God of the universe who loves you, who cares for you, who calls you his child, his approval is so much more valuable than the approval of other people. So I no longer have the gossip and slander to get other people's approval. I already got it in the God of the universe. Yeah, I could go on, but you get the point. When it's clear that your tongue reveals sin in your heart, I want to encourage you to repent and to yet again, once again, believe in the gospel. Don't ignore it. Don't ignore it. But listen, not only does your tongue have the power to, to reveal your hidden life, I want us to catch this. Your tongue also has the power to destroy your public life. We got to know this. This is a bomb that we can easily play with, and we shouldn't. We need to be careful because your tongue has the power to destroy your public life. To carry on the analogy, not only does your tongue provide x-rays, your tongue also does demolition work as well, so you need to be careful. And this passage shows us how our tongues can build up and our tongues can tear down. How our tongues, we can be so two-faced that we can bless God with our tongues and curse people who are made in the image of God. Our words are so powerful. And guys, words can seem so harmless, but we all know deep down inside that's not true. I said this before, so many of us, the whole direction of our lives have been set because of words that we heard when we were six years old. For some of you, you heard from a parent, you heard from a loved one, you heard from a teacher, you heard from somebody, you will never amount to anything, and now you are living your life to prove somebody wrong who's not thinking about you anymore. And why is that? Because words are powerful. For some of you, it's not even the words that you heard. For some of you, it's words that you didn't hear. For many of you, you grew up and you didn't receive the affection, the love, the care, the concern that you should have gotten. So you're out here living your life in response to that, trying to get that love and affection and care in all the wrong places because you didn't get it in your childhood. For so many of us, man, we're like that. I remember sitting down with a family member of mine who was in his 70s, and he was still shaking in rage because of something that he heard when he was seven years old. Words have an, out, words have an outsized effect. But I want to tell you, man, listen, if, if, you, if you hear me say all that and you're like, yo, that's me, I want to tell you this morning that there's hope. And here's the hope this morning. The word of God is more powerful than the words of people. That's the hope. The word of God is more powerful than the word of people. Human history is a demonstration of the power of God. Genesis 1, God creates the world by the word of his, his power. Genesis 12, God creates his people. Of talking to Abraham, creates his people through the words of his power. And in Romans 10, it declares that we who are spiritually dead are made alive through the word of God. And I'm trying to drive home something this morning. 
if God's powerful word can create no something out of nothing, if his word can make weak people strong, if his word can make dead things alive, his word can heal the damage caused to you by other people's harmful words. It really can. Y'all, look at James 1. Because in this passage, God is serious about those who use his words to harm other people. So James 3, verse 1, he talks about teachers in the church. He says, those who teach will be held to even a stricter judgment. Why is that? Because the tongue is powerful and it can hurt people. But I underline this word in my Bible because it's scary. Pastors and those who teach God's word can do great spiritual harm because they can be claiming to be speaking under the authority of God and telling you to do things opposite to what God wants. That's why it's careful for us to even the words that I preach. Go home, read your Bibles, right? Don't just take my word for it. That's why we walk verse by verse to the scriptures. We're not trying to piecemeal verses together to confuse you. It's all right here. Please go home, read the passage so you can see, is this pastor telling me things that are true? But I do want to take the heat off of me and also put it on you because the tongue is powerful in my profession, but the tongue is powerful in all of your professions as well. The tongue is powerful. It can hurt people. It can do great spiritual harm, whether the words come from me or whether the words come from you. I want you to look at verses 6 through 12. We'll put it on the screen because it's all about the kind of destruction that the tongue can cause. Verses 5 and 6, it says that the tongue is a fire. Verse 8, it says that your tongue is a restless evil. It doesn't quit. Verse 8, it says it's full of deadly poison. Verses 9 through 12 describes the kind of hypocrisy that we can have in the use of our tongues, blessing God and cursing the people who are made in the image of God. All of us are say we have to be a people who are careful in the use of our tongues. You never know how a small disparaging comment about somebody else to someone. You never know how a piece of juicy gossip declared to somebody else. You never know how a small put-down that you gave to somebody can cause catastrophic effects in the body of Jesus Christ. Be careful with your words. Such small words have great power. When I was thinking about this, I was thinking 15 years ago, uh, early 20s for me, um, I was a bivocational pastor. Probably even should have been a pastor at the time. I was really young. Praise God for his grace in my life. Uh, had a big mouth, didn't know how to close it. I mean, y'all might say that's still the case, right? Uh, but uh, it, it, it was crazy then. Praise God for his grace. But I was a bivocational pastor, so I was at a, at a church doing pastoral ministry. But I was also working at a home uh, for, um, um, filled with children, uh, at risk, um, children who were at risk. Uh, meaning that these were children who had emotional, psychological problems that posed a danger to the home environments. So they were placed at this facility where they had schools, they had counselors, and I was one of the counselors. And so we had these dorms that we would work in, um, and ever so often, uh, we would hear a code coming over the intercom. So code blank, code blank. We knew as staff that that was an indication that there was a disruption. Most likely somebody just got angry and physical in another dorm. And your role as a counselor, that if you were free, you were called to that dorm that that disruption happened in just to help out and assist. So it was one night, it was late, I hear a cold for a certain dorm. This dorm was um, a um, young adolescent girl dorm. 
So young adolescent go, uh, girls, no, uh, no um, older than the age of 11, were in this dorm. So here, a cold for this dorm, and I was a free guy in my dorm, and so I went towards that dorm. But I didn't go too fast, because I remembered who was working in that dorm. Uh, there was a guy along with two other women. His name was Pedro. And Pedro was six foot five, 340 pounds. Pedro was a big dude. Pedro actually used to play defensive tackle for the Seattle Seahawks. So for me, I was like, listen, Pedro can handle himself, right? Like, what, a, what, what am I going to do? And so I kind of took my time pulling up. But when I pulled up and opened the door to this dorm, nothing prepared me for what I saw. Because as soon as I walked in, Pedro was flying past me. Six foot five, 340 pounds, slammed hard into the wall. Didn't the drywall. And I'm thinking, is there a Mack truck in this dorm? Because that's the only thing that can move Pedro like this. I'm thinking it had to be some huge force. And I looked to where he was flying from, and there was a little girl standing there who was no, no older than 10 and did not weigh over 100 pounds. I can say a lot of things about that night, but I can tell you my first thought and what it was. I was wondering how something so small had the power to do and to move something that was so big. And when I think about that picture, I think about that's the thought that we should have when we look at the damage that, that, that our words have caused in the world. Here's the thing. We all know it's true. Wars have been caused because of misuse of the tongue. Tongues destroy, tongue, our tongues destroy relationships. Our, our tongue destroys lives. Our tongues destroy churches. When we complain. Y'all, have you ever just been content with life? And you start somebody besides you, you start complaining, and all of a sudden, you're discontent now. Well, I know what's happened to me. Gossip affects people. Lies affect people. NBC Arlington, let me encourage you. Be careful with your tongue. Be careful with your words. And, and, and I guess let me say this. You may be looking at me, and you're saying, is, uh, Eric, listen, man, this passage just seems so hopeless and pessimistic. Let me give you a glimmer of hope. Verse 8, and verse 8 doesn't sound hopeful, but it actually is. Verse 8, it says this. It says, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. You may look at that verse, you're like, all right, okay, cool, Eric, let me shut my Bible, let's go home. Because you told me that, listen, my words are harmful, but I can't control them. So, like, what do you expect me to do? Like, why are we even here this morning, Right? But hear me, while it's impossible for you to tame your tongue, let me introduce you to somebody who can. Jesus can. He truly can. Listen, we deserve condemnation because of the destruction that we have caused with our lips. And I love how Jesus comes to the world and he spoke only words of life. I love how Peter describes the words of Jesus. Peter says, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Jesus only spoke words that were fitting and were appropriate and were helpful for the situation. And because we sinned against God, our, God, our careless words deserve our condemnation. And Jesus controlled and careful words. And those deserve the approval of his Father. And yet, this is the beauty of the gospel. Jesus took the punishment that your careless words deserve. It's what I love about the, 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 the gospel account. You remember when Jesus was standing before the judge and the tribunal, and they were hurling all these accusations against Jesus. And Jesus, what did he say? He said nothing. 
What I love about that scene is that in that moment, if there's anybody who can speak up and say, those charges don't fit me, it could have been Jesus. But Jesus stood silent, and in his silence, he was taking upon himself the punishment for your appalling chosen words. So I love the gospel. Jesus died on the cross for our sin. He rose again in power, proving that he's God. He's able to offer you forgiveness. And if we simply come to him, repenting of our sin, trusting in Jesus as Lord, guess what's this morning? You can be forgiven of all that you've ever done. You can be forgiven of every misword, of every misstep that you've taken with your words. And the beautiful thing about the gospel is this. Not only is forgiveness possible, power is possible. You now have a power, the spirit inside of you. That can, do, that can do the work that you can't do. You can't tame the tongue, but our God in heaven, he can do it. He can do it. He's given you the ability to have power over the tongue. Ben, you guys can go ahead and come back up. So the question that you might have is like, okay, cool, Eric. Man, I know my tongue is out of control, and I believe in Jesus. So like, what do I do? Like, like, you said that the Spirit dwells in me, helps me to, uh, helps me to get control over, uh, over my tongue. Like, how do I step into that? Like, can I give you a couple of things really quickly? It's a helpful discipline. Here's one. Y'all, we have to form the discipline as people of God to give God our words first. Give God our words first. Eric, what do you mean by that? For us to use our words properly in the word world, we first need to give our words to God. And what I'm talking about here is the discipline of prayer. For too many of us, for too many of us, we go to people with our words before we go to God with our words. So the moment that you feel anger, the moment that you feel grief, the moment you feel frustration, the moment that you feel anything, you pour out your hearts to people rather than obeying the command to pour our hearts to God. And let me tell you, when you do that, you'll gossip, you'll slander, you'll boast. And guess what? In that circumstance, you'll usually be wrong. But my question for you is, what if you gave God your words first? What if you paused before you poured out your heart towards people and you poured out your heart towards God? You may be looking at me, you say, Eric, I can, like, I can do that? I can just tell God how I feel? Yes, you can. Matter of fact, that's why I love the Psalms. It's a type of song, a psalm that has confused people. And those psalms are in the category called imprecatory psalms. Can you say imprecatory? Imprecatory psalms. And those are psalms in which the psalmist is just going off on people, just cursing people, right? Like David got a psalm where he was like, God, will you bust the mouth? Will you punch the wicked in the mouth? Will you break their teeth? And I'm reading that. I'm like, yo, you can pray that? Like, you, you, can, <laughs> like, you can say that? And this confuses a lot of people, and I don't, I don't have it all together myself, but what I love about the imprecatory psalms and what makes that verbalization valid is this. David is not articulating that to the person that he desires to punch in the mouth. He's, he's articulating that to the God of all heaven, and he's trusting God to sort it out. Like, he's saying, God, I'm giving you my first word. God, this is how I feel. God, I'm giving you my first word. And I'm giving it to you because I want to trust you to have the final word. And what we tend to do is we tend to do the opposite. We use our words to control. We feel slighted by somebody, and we try to use our words to, like, control them or control the situation or control how they're viewed by other people. 
But no, what if we gave God our words first? What if we say, no, no, God, like, I feel anger, I feel frustration. I don't want to curse that person. So I'm bringing it to you, and I'm going to trust you to have the final word and not me. Y'all, there are going to be some times in your prayer life that you need to bring your anger, your frustration, your grief to the Lord. And God is, God's going to tell you, hey, just give that to me. Leave that to me. Leave that here. And don't say anything to anybody else. There's going to be times like that. Like, just like there's times at work where somebody sends you an email and you just want to go off and you type that joint out and you leave it in drafts and you're so grateful that you did that. There could be sometimes in prayer that you need to do that. But I know your response here. You're like, no, no, there's sometimes in which people wrong you and I need to say something to them. But listen, hear me this morning. Give God your words first. When that's the case, we give God our, our, our words first in prayer and prayer becomes the filter that God uses in our lives to help us as we go to somebody else. I'll give you an analogy. I couldn't really think of a better one this morning, so I came up with this one. I remember years ago hearing a piece of gossip about me. So it went all around the Ruben Mill. It got back to me, but the piece of gossip was not true. And me, I tend to be just a, I, I'm a prideful person, man. I was angry about it. I was upset. The piece of gossip wasn't even true. And all I wanted to do in that moment was to use my words to control other people's opinions about them, just like they use their words to control other people's opinions about me, right? I wanted to get them back, gossip, slander, to do all that. And I, I, I guess I wish I could say that I always do this, but I praise God that in that moment, before I did anything, I just got on my knees and I started praying about it. And when I started praying, a thought popped into my head, and this thought actually may be for you this morning as well. I remember hearing, not in a voice, man, just having an impression, just, just, just having this thought, like Eric, your ministry isn't retribution. Your ministry is reconciliation. Your ministry isn't retribution. Like, it, it, it ain't your job to get people back. Jesus in his word says, vengeance is mine. I'll repay, says the Lord. That ain't your job. Your job is reconciliation. That's your role. Your role is to use your words to help and heal rather than destroy. So after that, you know, confronted this person about it. It was a great conversation, but that conversation went so differently than if I actually prayed about it and, 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 and didn't allow that prayer to filter my conversation because I would have went in with guns blazing. But prayer often is, a, is an occasion where we can cast our burdens on God instead of hurling our burdens at other people. So NBC Arlington, give God your first word. In other words, give God your first draft, so to speak. Pour out your hearts to him. And let his character edit what you say to others so that it is helpful rather than harmful. Amen? But not only do we need to give God our first word, we also need to meditate on God's word. We need to meditate on God's word. God, often the reason why our hearts are so filled with words that we don't want to say, because our hearts aren't filled with, with God's words. We're often so careless with the words that flow from our lips because we're not careful to hide God's word in our hearts. And this must not be so. Yeah, I pray that we'll be a community where complaining does not easily flow from our lips. I'm not saying that you don't ever express that things that are wrong in your lives, but there's a difference between expressing something that is wrong and a constant drip of complaining. And when complaining easily flows from your lips, I want you to meditate. Sometimes it's an indication that, listen, you're not meditating on Ephesians 1. 
Because Ephesians 1 declares that we have every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. So instead of us meditating on what we don't have, that should be an occasion, a prompt for us to remember all that God has given us and how all that God has given us is so much better than what the world can give us. You may not have all that you want right now, but if you're in Christ, you got salvation. If you're in Christ, you got the Spirit dwelling inside of you. If you're in Christ, you got a community of faith around you, and you got heaven ahead of you. And that is enough to, that's enough to bring joy to your soul right now, even when you're tempted to complain. If gossip or hateful speech easily fall from your lips, that might be an occasion for you to meditate on 2 Corinthians 5. 18 through 19. I love this passage. I need to meditate on this all the time because it says this. It says, and all this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Pretty much saying this. That when you sinned against God and you did things uh, to him that you shouldn't have done, that instead of God uses his words to harm you, he used his word in order to heal you. He sent his only son, the way, the truth, and the life, to come to you in order to save you. And because you've experienced that from God, you no longer have to gossip, you no longer have to slander because somebody did you wrong. Because God didn't do that to you. He didn't do that to us. And Mr. Arlington, as I close, I want to encourage you guys to be the kind of community that reminds us to use our mouths like this, to gently remind the people in your life, y'all, there are no small sins. We need to be a people who are willing to talk to each other, to remind each other that gossip, slander, constant complaining, it's not fitting for the people of God. So let's do this. Let's be about this. I pray that we'll be a, a, a congregation who uses our words to heal and to help rather than harm. All right, let's take a moment to pray together. Then let's go to the table together for the Lord's Supper. Let's pray. God, we love you. We thank you for the cross. We thank you. For the gift of words. We are created in your image and you are a God that communicates. You are a God that reveals and you've made us as human beings to have the ability to communicate it. But Father, I pray that you would transform our hearts so that the words that we will say are fitting. Help us, Father. We need your help to tame these small things in our mouth that have an outsized impact. Father, I pray for those who don't know you. I pray that they will hear your word in the gospel. And instead of given a rebuttal with their own words. I pray that they'll receive your words in faith and obedience. May they trust in you and receive you as Lord. I pray that you will transform our speech. God, help us today to repent of ways that we've misused our words. Help us to walk with you all of our days. We love you. I pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen.